What's up, guys? This is Jacques. Welcome back to Unpopular. What a week it has been in celebrity deaths. Prince Philip died, and then I saw a lot of people on social media were celebrating it and recirculating offensive things he'd said in the past, and then the rapper DMX died, so conservatives started recirculating his, I don't know, his homophobic rap lyrics or something to upset the woke people. So basically my entire timeline on Twitter for the last two days has just been conservative Prince Philip fans arguing with woke DMX fans about who was more problematic 20 years ago. Why is everyone so fucking annoying? I just can't even deal with people these days, I swear. I'll be honest, though, I didn't even know who Prince Philip was. I kept seeing in the press for weeks, like, Prince Philip is dying, Prince Philip is dying, and I saw the memes on Twitter of him looking really old and stuff, and I honestly just thought he was some random side character royal, like Fergie's uncle or something. I didn't realise he was, like, a main player. When he died, my friend was upset about it, actually. We were both online at the same time, and he kept sending me, like, uh, memes and stuff about how great Philip was, and I was like, dude, like, why do you even care that he died? Like, who is this person? And then my friend was like, um, it's the Queen's husband. I swear I didn't even realise that the Queen had a husband, because I always see her by herself in the media, or she's with, like, Prince Charles. So I kind of just assumed she was, like, single and doing her own thing. I don't think I even thought about the Queen's love life or... Maybe I just assumed that her husband had died many years ago. So, I don't know. I just don't really care about the royals, so I don't even think about it. I also don't understand why she's a queen, but she's married to a prince. Isn't the queen meant to marry a king? How do a queen and a prince go together? I don't even know. The royals are so weird. I don't really care anyway. I think Meghan Markle is skipping the funeral. They've made up this excuse that it's like because she's pregnant, but honestly, who would want her there after she trashed the entire family in the media? And she was definitely telling a few porky pies because I've seen all these stories from fact checkers since, you know, her Oprah interview and It's all about how, like, half the things she said don't add up or they were total bullshit. She would just be trolling if she showed up at that funeral. Can you imagine? But as much as she loves attention, I just don't think that even Meghan would be shady enough to upstage Prince Philip's funeral. I mean, Britain already hates her, but can you imagine if (laughs) if she showed up there and pulled focus? She would never be able to step foot in Britain again after that. Anyway, I may not know who Prince Philip is, but you know who I do know? Nikki Graham. She is the Big Brother UK legend, and she died this week after a battle with anorexia, which is really sad. She was only 38. When I saw the news break on Twitter actually last night, I was just like, like, I couldn't believe it because she's such an icon. And I mean, she's my Prince Philip, Nikki Graham, I think. You know what actually killed her, which is really, really tragic, is the coronavirus lockdown because it triggered her eating disorder. I saw an interview with her mum from about a week ago, actually, so it was right before she had died, and her mum said that the gym's shutting down combined with the social isolation was just, like, too much for Nikki, and at that point... She was in a really bad state, and I think they had a GoFundMe running to try and um, raise some money to send her to, like, a fancy treatment facility, and yeah, it's just, it's really, really sad. She was an absolute reality TV legend. She was best known for throwing these hilarious unhinged tantrums and meltdowns. They were epic. They did become kind of contrived later on because... Eventually, it sort of became like a bit for her because it was like a thing. But in the early days, they were definitely the real deal. And, you know, looking back and now knowing about how badly she struggled with anorexia and other issues, her meltdowns were probably a symptom of mental illness. But 
they were so entertaining, so I'm not going to take that away from her. A lot of reality stars copied her as well. Like, Nikki really, I think, became the blueprint for reality TV meltdowns. I mean, if you guys know Megan McKenna, when she went on Celebrity Big Brother a few years ago, all she did was a bad Nikki Graham impression, but no one could do it as good as Nikki did. And if Nikki had become famous in the social media era instead of kind of like the early mid-2000s, I think she would have been as big as Gemma Collins is now. I mean, she would have been huge. So, sometimes I feel sorry for people that got the peak of their fame right before social media became a thing. Anyway, it's sad to see you go, Nikki. Big brother, can you open the larder and can we have our shopping? Because that selfish yank has just eaten all the fucking food and me and Imogen have got nothing to eat for breakfast now. He's had four bowls of cornflakes yesterday. Four! And they're not just normal bowls. They're fucking mountains of cornflakes. Like a mountain and a whole bag of sugar. We're running out of sugar as well because of him. And now fucking goes and finishes off the whole thing of cornflakes. Massive mountain. And me and Imogen wanted to have them and now there's none. And we're, oh look, there's parajotes. Why do, parajotes are good for you, they're healthy. Why didn't you have them, you fat ox? Okay, on a bit of a lighter note, uh, there is a Bachelor bombshell that I feel like has somewhat vindicated me for some of my views on the recent season of The Bachelor, which I love because I love being right. I have a very fragile ego. I'm very petty, so this is a good day for me. Matt James and Rachel Kirkconnell are back together. Not only are they back together, but they've basically been together the entire time, with the exception of about a one-week break around the After the Final Rose special when Matt, you know, dramatically dumped Rachel. Not only that, but he has been two-timing Rachel with another girl named Grace. Now, I know that the woke police from the Bachelor subreddit wanted so badly to believe in this narrative that Matt James had become the second Martin Luther King and that he dumped Rachel for being a Nazi, but it's not true. You guys just got that in your head, and then you projected it onto these poor reality stars and tried to make it reality when it just really was not. It was a fictional narrative in your head. I told you that Matt only dumped Rachel on the show because of the backlash from Bachelor Nation and all the pressure around the Chris Harrison scandal and all of that, and hello, was I not right? So let me just explain what went down before we get into it some more. This is all from Reality Steve. This is all from Reality Steve, by the way, so credit to him. He always has all of the Bachelor tea. Love Reality Steve. So Matt and Rachel were texting and FaceTiming pretty much this entire time, with the exception of the After the Final Rose finale when he had to dump her on the show. They had a little bit of a break around then. Besides that, Matt was like telling Rachel that he loved her, that he wanted to be with her. They were FaceTiming and messaging every day. There are receipts for this. Reality Steve has seen them, so this is not hearsay. Matt paid to fly Rachel out to New York. Then a fan snapped a picture of them out together and it leaked online. That caused a bit of a media frenzy. You may have seen some of that in the blogs about a week ago. Matt James, still wanting to protect his image and to keep the woke police at bay, had his camp leak stories to the press saying that he wasn't with Rachel, that they were just friends. He completely downplayed it and he kind of made it seem like Rachel was chasing him when what has actually been happening is that he has been, like, pursuing Rachel. So during all of this time, he's also flirting with this other girl named Grace that he had met before The Bachelor. Now, he wasn't exclusive with Rachel, so look, he can chat other girls up, but he's clearly leading both of them on and being a bit of a player, which is no shock because, remember, Matt James is best friends with Tyler Cameron, who is, like, the biggest Bachelor fuckboy ever. So, of course, Matt James is going to be, like, cut from the same cloth. 
So Rachel finds out that he was chatting to this other girl named Grace, and not only is she pissed that he was doing that because he's, uh, I don't want to say cheating, he's like semi-cheating because he's basically telling Rachel that they're going to be together while he's like hitting up this other girl, but she's also pissed that his camp is leaking fake news to the media and downplaying their relationship. So in a nutshell, this is what happened. Matt dumps Rachel publicly on TV because of all the pressure from the stupid fans, then Matt strings her along in secret, leads her on, but tells her that they can't go public yet because of the backlash and he has an image. Then Matt starts talking to this Grace girl again, I guess he was keeping his options open. Then he throws Rachel under the bus yet again when photos of them together in New York come out. So he's thrown her under the bus twice, first on the After the Final Rose special, secondly in the media with his camp leaking stories. So yeah, He's a total fuckboy. He is such a player. But look, I do not want to put all of this blame on him because I really do blame the fans first and foremost. I feel like they are responsible for this mess. They put all of this crazy pressure on everybody. They ginned up this narrative. The antebellum photos were never really as bad as people made them out to be, and the story got so exaggerated and so blown out of proportion over time that Rachel ended up being dubbed racist Rachel in the media. The average person who didn't know the ins and outs of the stories thought that she'd been like using the N-word or doing blackface or doing something extreme. They didn't really understand that it was like old photos that she basically went to a party out of ignorance. She clearly didn't really understand the impact of it. And then once she found out, she was pretty apologetic. I mean, we've seen her apologies on Instagram and stuff. I think the general consensus from a lot of people was that her apology was like good and thorough and took ownership of everything. So she's really not that bad, but it was just crazy how out of control it got in the media. And if you guys remember, originally, Matt was not that upset about the photos when they first came out. Like, he seemed to understand that it was an innocent mistake out of ignorance rather than a knowingly racist action. And even for an ignorant mistake, like, there are much worse things you could do out of ignorance than going to that party, you know, in college. And it wasn't really until the social justice warriors on Reddit blew it up and then Chris Harrison got into his own thing with like Rachel Lindsay that this spiraled out of control and Matt was basically forced to publicly condemn Rachel, who he clearly had feelings for because he wouldn't have picked her on the show as like the final girl. Everybody was upset that he didn't pick Michelle, the teacher who was the runner up, but he obviously really had strong feelings for Rachel. He was definitely a bit of a coward, which I said at the time, but I do feel a lot of empathy for him because I feel like anybody in his position would be. Like, with that amount of pressure, the media, the fans, the whole just weird Bachelor ecosystem, it would be really hard to stand up to that. And Bachelor people, they are so cookie-cutter and basic by nature. Like, all they care about is, like, Instagram followers and being liked by people. Matt is no different. And I can totally see why he made the decisions that he did. I blame the fans so much more than I blame him. I feel like the fans, the woke police, sorry, I just love using that term since Chris Harrison called it out. The woke police, they basically destroyed his relationship, in my opinion. They ruined things between him and Rachel. They forced him to play into this narrative that, you know, they had written up in their heads about, you know, how Rachel's white privilege had spawned this awakening in Matt and that he realized he was being oppressed and that he couldn't be with somebody as ignorant as Rachel. It was like Chris Harrison and Rachel Kirk Connell had been cast as villains in some epic fantasy and, you know, Matt James and Rachel Lindsay vanquished them in the end and everybody became woke and we all lived happily ever after. That's not what happened. That is a fantasy that you guys created and projected onto these poor people. 
It's like you guys wag your fingers at Rachel Kirk Connell and Chris Harrison, tell them to read White Fragility and to take anti-racism courses and to like be more woke. Like maybe you guys need to read some books too and take a few courses as well because you guys just ruined everything for everybody. And again, my stance on this is that I feel bad for Matt James. I feel bad for Rachel Kirk Connell. I feel bad for Chris Harrison. I fucking hate the Bachelor fans. You guys are so annoying. I hope you can just leave them all alone. I hope if Matt and Rachel have a true spark between them and feelings for each other that they can work through this. Now, I don't think they will because I don't think that Matt has what it takes to stand up to the Bachelor fans. And also, he's been a fuckboy. He's been talking to this other girl, Grace. He wanted to fly her out or something. There's more to this story if you look into it. I can't be bothered going into the kind of like ins and outs of the relationship dynamics, but he has kind of led Rachel on and has been chatting to this other girl. So it may be irreparable by now. I think if I was Rachel Kirkconnell, I don't know if I could take Matt back. I mean, I guess she could understand it from the point of like all the pressure that was put on him, especially as a black man in this climate. Like people wanted him to be this social activist where, you know, he he had more pressure on him than a normal white bachelor would have, which was really unfair. So Maybe Rachel will be able to look at it from that perspective. I mean, she obviously had originally to even have been talking to him again after the After Final Rose special when he dumped her. She obviously felt she understood why he had to do what he had to do. But now that he's been talking to another girl, I don't know if she's going to be able to forgive him. But whatever, Bachelor fans, you fucking ruined their relationship. So this one's on you. Okay, what else do I want to rant about? I'll be honest, I'm not as prepared this week as I usually am. I'm usually very, very prepared for my episodes, and I'm just, like, winging it a little bit this weekend, and it's just, look, it is what it is. I uh, had to record some other people's podcasts that I went on, and I just, I don't know, I'm just tired. I've been on night shift. The struggle is real. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about Lil Nas X, and this reaction is kind of, like, a little old. This is, like, a kind of an old story now, but I did want to say something about this that I've been meaning to say, actually, since this went down. So, first of all, look, Lil Nas X, obviously the Old Town Road guy, I am a huge fan of him. Like, I think he's amazing. I don't listen to that many new artists, and Lil Nas X is one of the few that I do listen to. Like, I think he's super talented. I love all his music. I think he's so funny. I think he's so creative. I think he's so hot. He's up there as, like, one of the hottest guys for me out of all the celebrities, like Lil Nas X tops the list. So there has been all this controversy with this new single of his, uh, Call Me By Your Name. He, you would have all seen the music video by now, right? Um, It's pretty over the top. It's actually, I find the video a little tacky, to be honest, like it's too much, but he strips on like a stripper pole and he twerks on Satan. And as like part of a cross promotion thing, he also released these sneakers that had like a drop of blood in them or something. And he called them like Satan shoes because they had, I don't know, like a 666 or a pagan devil symbol or something on them. This has blown into this like huge controversy over the last couple of weeks. And it's kind of like conservative outrage at Lil Nas X. Let me tell you, this outrage thing is so fake and manufactured. There is, there's no real outrage. Like, this was fake. So, like I said, I'm the biggest Lil Nas X fan, right? I'm glued to his Twitter account. I follow everything that he does. I love him. When this song comes out, this is a good song, by the way, and we've been waiting for this song for a really long time because he's been teasing Call Me By Your Name for about, like, a year on his social media, right? So we're all primed for the song. We all want the song. Song drops. The song is amazing. Lil Nas X, he was literally on Twitter 
trying to find any negative tweets he could about this song, and then he would, like, quote, tweet, and respond. So it gave the impression that there was this big, like, homophobic, Christian, conservative backlash at him, which there really wasn't. Like, sure, was some people saying stuff about it? I mean, yes, hello, it's Twitter, but I mean... The overall reaction was very positive. Like, people love Lil Nas X. Like, he's a huge star. He's amazing. So, Lil Nas X was, like, digging through, trying to find any tweets he could find that pushed back, and then he would quote tweet it, and he was, like, manufacturing this fake thing. And then eventually, Candace Owens, who I know a lot of you are probably Candace Owens fans. I can't stand her. She took the bait. I mean, Candace Owens knows how to find her moment. She popped off about it. And then that was like a gift from God to Lil Nas X, because then it's a bit like Candace Owens versus Lil Nas. I mean, Cardi B and Candace Owens both got so much mutual publicity when they did the whole thing over WAP. Lil Nas X jumped on that. And then it was like, Eventually, Fox News and stuff did start covering Lil Nas X in the kind of a conservative way, like, you know, what is he doing to the kids? He's twerking on Satan. It's This is satanic. This is the homosexual. Like, they started doing all of that bullshit. But that was not there originally. Like, Lil Nas X ginned that up himself because it was great promotion for the song. And the song ended up going number one on the Hot 100. So it totally fucking worked. And also, the conservative side in terms of, I don't mean like the losers on social media, but I mean like Fox News and everything, they love this too because it's just content for them. Like, then they get to like pretend that they're outraged over it and they get to like whip up their viewers into a bit of a frenzy and then people can watch it and go, oh my God, like what has happened to the music industry? This gay black man twerking on Satan, you know, singing about having anal sex. This is, you know, this is the end of civilization. Meanwhile, the people on Lil Nas's X side, they can be like, oh, homophobia is still around, you know, racism, uh, Look at these stupid MAGA people trying to bring down Lil Nas X with their homophobic tweets and they're so close-minded. I'm going to go stream the song. And it's just like, guys, you're all being played. Like, don't <laughs> don't play into either side of it. Just, like, enjoy the song or don't enjoy the song. But there's really no need to get upset about it. And also, like, Lil Nas X is fine. Like, he's not being – there's not, like, homophobic attacks against him. And if there are, he wanted them. He ginned that up because he knew that it would promote the song. So, yeah, I'm a little late with my take on this whole Lil Nas X thing, but I saw this happening in real time because I follow him so closely because I am such a fan. And I saw what he was doing and – The fact that this has just continued on and on for like quite a while is just, I'm like, I need to sound off about this on the podcast. By the way, interesting thing, it's not just conservatives that have been upset about it. I was watching Wendy Williams' show a week or two weeks ago. She didn't like the Satan shoes, okay? So, and neither did the co-host. What's that co-host she has? Not a co-host. Um, The producer, uh, you know his name, the guy that's always there, the sidekick. They didn't like it because- I mean, I guess a lot of, like, black Americans, they are still, like, they have Christian upbringings, so I'm sure that they're not crazy about Satan shoes. So, I mean, it's the same with the white Christian conservatives as well. But, I mean, it's, it was manufactured, but it's not just, like, Fox people. Like, I'm sure that there are a lot of people like Wendy that were a little shook by the Satan shoes too. So, you know, it's fun to paint this narrative of, like, oh, my God, the Fox people are, like, clutching their pearls, they're the Fox conservatives are such snowflakes. It's like, no, Lil Nas X wanted this. He ginned it up. And it's not just the Fox News people anyway. But whatever. It's all fake. Everybody wins in the end. The song goes number one. Fox News has content. Wendy has content for Hot Topics. Whatever. It's not that deep. 
Okay, guys, while we're on this subject of like rappers manufacturing, you know, outrage and publicity and everything for themselves, let's talk about Kid Cudi on SNL wearing a dress. Uh, First of all, I am the hugest Kid Cudi fan, like more than Lil Nas X, because Lil Nas X is like new, you know what I mean? Like Lil Nas X is one of those people that I really like out of like the new crop of artists. Kid Cudi, I've been obsessed with since his like first mixtape. I love him. I listen to all of his albums. I think he's so incredible. He's such a risk taker musically. Like if you go through all of his albums, he does he takes so many chances with his music. He's not just in this box of like what hip hop should sound like. He's all over the place. Like I wouldn't even really consider him a hip hop artist because he is so experimental and he's like emo lyrics speak to me. He's gotten me through some tough times. Like I love Kid Cudi. So Kid Cudi has a new album out, Man on the Moon 3. I love it. Obviously, I've been blasting it since it came out. He was on SNL over the weekend to perform, and he did, like, two performances, I think. One of them, he wore this <laughs> this floral dress, right? And it was actually a tribute to Kurt Cobain. So he didn't just wear a dress for no reason. Uh, and I'm not mad about him wearing a dress, but... He looked like a fucking idiot, honestly. Like, it looked so stupid. And it's not that I have a problem that he's wearing a dress. It's just the style of the dress. It didn't look good. It looked like something your grandma would wear. Or it looked like what a boring white woman would wear to, like, a country club luncheon. Like, it was just such a bad look. And I know he was paying tribute to Kurt Cobain, but... Because Kurt Cobain famously wore a floral dress as well, right? But when Kurt did it, Kurt kind of had like a grungy t-shirt and then he had the dress like thrown over it and he pulled it off and like it looked cool because he kind of like mixed it and made it look edgy. And fucking Kid Cudi comes out dressed like his grandma. It looks so stupid. And then when I saw the social media reaction, this irritated me so much I All these people that have never heard talk about Kid Cudi's music. Like I said, I'm a real fucking Kid Cudi fan. They're like standing him like, oh my God, Kid Cudi, you're so brave. I just, Kid Cudi looked amazing. Kid Cudi wore a dress on SNL. We stand. It's like, it's not that edgy to wear a fucking, a guy to wear a dress. It's just not, especially when you're already a big famous celebrity and you're on SNL, which is a very liberal type show. I mean, Harry hasn't Harry Styles been running around a fucking dress too? Like, no one gives a shit except, like, Candace Owens or something. Besides that, no one cares. And... I just think people are so stupid that what all it takes is Kid Cudi to wear a dress that you're like wetting yourself with excitement and suddenly he's like your favorite artist, but he's been putting out this amazing music for like over 10 years now and you don't even care. Like I never see you talk about his actual music, his craft, what he does as an artist, but then it's like a man in a dress. You think it's incredible. So I just thought that was so lame, everyone just getting on that bandwagon and praising the dress and it's like it's just because it's a man in a dress you think it looks good because it's like um I always bring this guy up what JVN Jonathan Van Ness or whatever from Queer Eye he looks stupid when he's in women's clothing so does Harry Styles like and I just think it's so unfair because when women wear would wear those outfits it's like worst dress list and we'll be criticizing them but then because it's a man in a dress you're saying it looks good like at least wear it in a cool way where you pull it off like Kurt Cobain about what 30 years ago He did the dress. It looked cool. It worked. Like, he rocked it. David Bowie, like, Prince. Like, there are are androgynous men or cross-dressing men, whatever you want to call it, that have done it and made it look good. But now it's like, 
any guy can just put on women's clothing. It doesn't matter how fucking stupid it looks. And then everyone has to, like, praise it to the high heavens like it's the most incredible thing they've ever seen. Like, he shouldn't have a different standard than women do because you know you would be dragging women if they were wearing these dresses. So why don't you fucking drag the men too? That's, like, (laughs) that's fucking male privilege right there because... Kid Cuddy, love him. And I get the sentiment behind wearing the dress. Like, I'm not upset that he wore the dress. And I actually love that he paid tribute to Kurt Cobain because I do love Kurt and I love Nirvana and it's really cool. But he could have at least, like, made it look good. And I don't know. People are just so lame that that's what excites them so much. You saw Kid Cuddy wearing a dress on SNL and that, like, made your day? Really? Why don't you fucking listen to his music? His music's really good. Go buy the album if you want to support him. If you're so progressive and, like, this is such a powerful thing for you, go buy the album and give him some actual fucking money. Don't just tweet about how good he looked in this dress when he clearly didn't. He looked like an idiot. Anyway, shout out to Kid Cudi and go stream the album because it is pretty good. Garrick has been engaged to Roberta, our Brazilian sister wife, for nearly a year now. And we are prepping our divorce papers so we can bring Roberta here to be with us. It was definitely our last resort to go through with the divorce. We uh, talked to an attorney, and that's pretty much the only way they'll allow her to come to America is on a fiancé visa. So these papers are the last thing we have to get together before we go to court to finalize our divorce. Now, I can't believe I left this so late into this episode, because this is actually what I wanted to talk about the most this week, is my new obsession, Seeking Sister Wife on TLC. This fucking show is so good. It's... I needed this because I've really been let down by a few of the shows that I was excited for lately, Temptation Island being one of them, and then Seeking Sister Wife has come along and just saved the day alongside Mama June. But I recommend this over Mama June, which we're going to get to, because Mama June is an acquired taste, whereas I feel like everyone can watch this Seeking Sister Wife show and just get their life to this, all right? So... This is a spin-off of a show on TLC called Sister Wives. Now, Sister Wives follows one polygamous family. I think they're Mormons. It's been going on for, I don't know, 10 seasons or something. That show was so popular that they have done this spin-off called Seeking Sister Wife, and it's basically different couples that would like to enter into a polygamous relationship. And it's always a husband convincing his wife that he should have multiple wives, basically. This is season three, but they get, it's a bit like 90 Day Fiance, where it's like they get new couples each season, and then sometimes they'll continue one over from the previous season. But you don't have to have watched the first two seasons, because I've just jumped into season three, which is airing now. It's like three or four episodes in, and I didn't need the backstory for it. So the one couple on this that is just the most incredible thing I've ever seen, you would have seen me posting about this on my Instagram stories, Unpopular JP, if you don't follow me. And I had so many people in my DMs like, this is insane. So it's this couple, <laughs> Garrick and Danielle. They're, I guess they're in their early to mid 30s. They've been together since they were about 18 years old. They're super duper Christian. Like they have two kids. They name their kids Solomon and something else. So the kids have biblical names. They're very into the whole Christian thing. And Garrick wants another wife because he read in the Bible that Jesus condones multiple wives. I can't remember what it was specifically, but he uses the Bible to justify it. Now, you can tell that this poor Danielle does not want another woman coming into the marriage. She's like traditional Christian. She's not into it, but 
She's the biggest fucking doormat. And he has convinced her because he's a manipulative pig. And she's just smiling through the pain, right? So he finds another wife, a hot, spicy Brazilian woman named Roberta. They meet online. Roberta doesn't speak English. (laughs) So I don't know where they met on some like website, I think some polygamous website, and they communicate to each other through a language language translation app, which if you're a 90 day fiance fan, you would have seen that on before the 90 days between (laughs) the iconic Paul and Carini. But they communicate through this fucking app, right? They went to Brazil once to visit her. And now They're going to bring Roberta over to America to live with them as like a polygamous family, all right? But again, it gets worse. Because she's Brazilian, the only way to bring her over is to put her on this like K-1 fiancé visa, which is like the visa that they use on 90 Day Fiancé to bring the foreigners over to America. But Garrick is married to Danielle, his wife of, I don't know, 12 years or possibly longer, 15 years, something like that, mother of the children. So he convinces Danielle to get a divorce with him so he can bring Roberta over on this visa and marry her. It's so insane. And look, I know that shows, they fake shows, things get exaggerated. I don't know, but they come off pretty... I mean, Danielle's, like, crying. The wife is crying. Like, she walks off in tears off camera. So, I'm sure with any reality show that things have been exaggerated or produced, but it's fucking crazy. I cannot believe it. And he's such a creep. And one thread that I noticed just from watching this season already, I'm only, like, three episodes in, these guys, they all just are horny and they want more women. They want like more women to fuck, but they don't want to lose their wife because they love having a wife because the wife, you know, cooks and cleans and, you know, gives them the emotional comfort that they want and the emotional security, but they can't keep their fucking dicks in their pants and stay married and monogamous. So instead of like doing the usual thing that most married men do, which is just cheat on their wives, which is disgusting in itself, they basically manipulate their wives into agreeing to have polygamous relationships. And I'm not saying that there aren't couples that it works for. I know that people have these like modern relationships now and they're swingers and stuff, but, and I think that it does work for certain people. Like they have this um, black couple on there and I don't think that they are religious at all. They seem a bit like hippy dippy, like they have like long hair and they wear kind of like hippie-ish stuff. And I feel like for them, like they're into it because they just seem very like new agey. So for them, it's fine. But I actually think for the religious people more so, I don't think the women are into it and the men use religion to manipulate the wives into agreeing to it. So they bring over Roberta and Roberta and Garrick are like all over each other in front of Danielle and she's pretending that she's okay with it and like, you know, forcing a smile. She's clearly not. Roberta and Garrick, they want to fuck so bad. Like they have so much sexual chemistry and she's not even that hot. Like she's not unattractive, but she's not, uh, I'm trying to think of some Brazilian, I mean, J-Lo's not Brazilian, but you know, she's not J-Lo or Shakira or Anita or something like that. But She's an attractive woman, but it's like, he's kind of like your average white, like, middle America guy that 
for him, this would have been this would be like so exotic for him because he never would have even had any other like flavors in his life. He's probably been having sex with the same woman, you know, his whole life. I'm sure she's not that adventurous because she had a. I mean, she doesn't seem like she's that adventurous. <laughs> so they're all over each other, and Garrick even says in a piece to camera, he's like, oh, "I want Danielle and Roberta to be friends, but you know, we don't believe in any physical intimacy between them because, again, they're like Christian, so it's like." Anything like homosexual, like lesbianism or whatever, is frowned upon. So Danielle can't even get it on with Roberta. They meet up, and they actually they meet in Mexico, I think, because I think that Roberta can't come into. I don't know if she's going to come to America straight away or if she's coming to Mexico first. But they're in Mexico for eight days, right? And they've got two hotel rooms. Danielle, the wife, has to stay in one hotel room by herself, while her husband Garrick. And Roberta are in the room right next door the entire time. And they're, like, having sex and stuff. And it's, like, thin walls. And they're even, like, joking about how she'll be able to hear it. And she's trying to be okay with it. And she's like, you know, um, it will be hard because I'm used to having my husband to cuddle with at night. But this is just what we have to do. And it's okay. And, I, you know, I hope I can't hear them. And she's then she's like fighting off tears and will like have to walk off camera and stuff. And then they did a preview for the upcoming season and you see, <laughs> you see Roberta and Garrick planning their, because she got divorced, by the way, she gets divorced on camera. She's crying when they get divorced. So she clearly doesn't want to do it. It's like she's getting divorced at gunpoint. So they, they get divorced before they bring Roberta over. And then I saw in a preview, Roberta and Garrick are like planning their new wedding, <laughs> like in front of her with the wedding plan. <laughs> It's so fucked up, but it's amazing. I definitely recommend watching it because, again, it's one of those premises that is just so crazy that you like you just have to watch. It's like the first time you discover like Love After Lockup or Ninety Day Fiance or whatever, and you just think, how are there these? How do these people exist? What is this? So I definitely recommend getting into this. I feel like this is kind of like the hot new show coming up because I'm seeing a lot of buzz around seeking sister wife and. I, I feel like it's blowing up, so you've definitely got to check this out, season <laughs> season three, and tell me what you think. You don't know how many nights I cried myself to sleep just hoping and praying that you don't overdose. And I mean, I'm lucky I, I didn't pray. Hold on, just let it talk. God, please don't let my mom die. Please, just, just hold on to her. Just please. <laughs> I just wanted you there. And even if I texted your phone, I wouldn't even get a text back. So, hell, I never knew if you were alive or dead anyways. So, I also watched my fave show, Mama June, Road to Redemption. And you guys, this one left me in tears because this was the reunion between Mama June with Honey Boo Boo and Pumpkin. First time they've seen each other in a year they were crying. I was crying. This was a lot. So they meet up at this designated place and then, you know, they're trying to find out if June's sober. So they make her, um, they make her take a drug test on the spot. And she's like, uh, well, I'm going to pee in this cup and show you. And then, um, Mama June goes to like pee in the cup and like, <laughs> they film her pissing in this fucking cup with like the door open, like squ- squatted over it. Pumpkin standing outside. She's like, Pumpkin, I'm peeing all over this cup. And then, um, she takes a drug test and then she comes out and she's sober. And then they have the reunion and 
Like, they literally haven't seen each other in a year. And I know this show is, like, very fake, but this part is definitely real. And Honey Boo Boo's like, Mama, you weren't there for my first day of school. I didn't have anyone to turn to, Mama. And then she's crying and, like, I'm crying and... It was just a lot, and I just feel so bad for this poor little girl. And, you know, Mama June, I don't think Mama June has it all together yet. Like, she is sober, you can tell that she's sober, but as far as who she is as a human being, like, she's clearly just a selfish person because some of the decisions she's made in life, it's not just the drugs, but it's the men that she's chose to be with and just her behaviour in general shows that she is very reckless and she is very selfish and... You know, I I just think it's hard for the family. So they have the reunion and, you know, it goes well, but it's not all like happy families yet because they have a long way to go. Like the promo says, it's a long road to redemption. Then later on, uh, they have this side plot and this is totally fake. So Sugar Bear, which is uh, Honey Boo Boo's dad, he has this new wife, Jennifer. Sugar Bear is sort of like semi-estranged from Honey Boo Boo, but he's trying to get back in her life. But... The way they're doing the storyline is he's doing it in secret behind Jennifer's back. And then Jennifer and Sugar Bear's sister are, like, scheming together because Sugar Bear's been sneaking out to to see Honey Boo Boo. And Jennifer's like, um, you know, Sugar Bear was a player when I met him. And if I find out that he's been playing around June again, his ass will be out on the street. And it's so fake, but it's like, I mean, it's fucking funny as. So... I love that. And then the end of the episode had a happy ending again because it was like June met up with Pumpkin at the park and Pumpkin has a daughter. I don't know what the daughter's real name is, but they call her Tink. I'm telling you that this kid, this Tink, you've never seen a cuter toddler in your life. Like cuter than Honey Boo Boo was on Toddlers and Tiaras. Like this kid, I mean, I don't know if this kid's getting a good edit. Like, does someone in the editing room like Tink? Because every scene of Tink is, like, hilarious and adorable. You could make a whole show around Tink. You could make, like, Here Comes Tink, the new reality show, and I would watch it. This kid is so fucking cute. And Mama June wants to see Tink again. And then Pumpkin and her meet at this park and they're talking and, you know, Mama June's like, I want to see Tink. And they act like she's not going to have access to Tink, which is her granddaughter. And then at the end, it's like, surprise. And like Tink runs, (laughs) Tink runs out. And then Mama June is like hugging her and crying. And then I'm crying again. It was just so powerful. But then... This part had to be set up. It's like, boom, boom, Gino comes out. Gino is Mama June's crackhead longtime boyfriend. He is apparently sober now as well. I believe he is sober because he's morbidly obese. And usually when people stop a drug addiction, they often replace it with food, which both Mama June and Gino clearly have. But, you know, Pumpkin and Honey Boo Boo have had all these rules of like, we don't want Gino around. So Gino is like, surprise, and shows up. And then it's like the music's really dramatic. And then it, you know, ends on to be continued. I'm like, oh, here we go. Because really the tension of the season was wanting to see the reunion. So now that we've seen them have the reunion, they have to like, I guess, make up a few things to keep it going, to like keep us invested. So... I don't know. I can't wait. I can't wait for this showdown with Gino, even if it is fake. And I need to see if Jennifer will bust Sugar Bear on his little side quest to reconnect with his family, because that's funny. And Jennifer is... Jennifer, Sugar Bear's wife, Jennifer, is like the worst actress you've ever seen, which just makes every scene with her even funnier, because she can't even like pull, <laughs> can't even pull off the fake lines on this stupid show. 
That's about it for this week, guys. But there was a couple things I wanted to follow up on. Uh, I got some feedback for my segment about Real Housewives of Dallas, Brandy Redmond's shitty podcast. A few of you are big fans of that podcast, actually, and you wrote me in to say, no, Stephanie and Trey are amazing. Um, They do a really great job. It's just Brandy Redmond in particular that is like a disaster on that show. And a lot of you are defending the podcast. So look, I don't want to put down Trey or Stephanie. I don't think I really did last week. I mean, I did point out that Trey was great, but just for the record, the weekly dose of BS we love the show. It's just that Brandy Redman needs to get it together, girl. You can't be recording segments from your car. Oh, and also with the feedback that I got from that segment, which it's funny, like the stuff that I record that I think will like get a reaction out of people, no one cares. And then things that I just think is kind of like an innocuous like side rant that I had is like what fires people up. Because I had a few of you listening that also have podcasts and you were just as outraged as I was. Oh my God, actually, you know what? I should... I'm going to play you a voicemail that my friend Kirsty from the Reality TV and Me podcast <laughs> sent me after she listened to my episode and she heard what I said about Brandy Redmond. It's so funny. Hang on, let me get it. Hey, um, so I was at my pole dancing class, but now I'm back listening to the rest of your show. And OM God, I can't believe that Brandy is allowed to record a fucking podcast in her car like I'm talking to you on my phone doing a vo- voice note right now with kids falling off her tits because she's probably suckling at the same time. I'm outraged and sadly unsurprised. Fucking fuck your face off. That's how me and Kirsty talk to each other like every day. But that's how podcasters feel in general, hearing about the Brandy Redmond thing, because it's like, You don't even have to do anything for your podcast. Like, you've got a studio that edits it all. They give you a show outline. Like, you don't have to do anything. All you have to do is show up and have your audio be decent, and you can't even do that. And then people like myself and Kirsty and other people that I won't – other podcasters that I won't name who hit me up about it as well are like – We bend our fucking backs to put our shows together. We literally do every single thing. We edit it ourselves. We market it ourselves. We have like all the audio and stuff perfect. We like book all the internet. Like we do everything. And then Brandy Redmond's in her car on her phone doing voice notes. But shout out to Stephanie and Trey for doing a good job and doing their best. And you know what? I think the weekly dose of BS, their podcast, should just be with Trey and Stephanie, and then when Brandy has it together some more, she can come in because, you know, I do feel for Brandy. She's going through a lot, as we've talked about. She has a lot on her plate, the poor thing. So now is not the time for her to be on a podcast. Now is not the time for her to be on The Real Housewives of Dallas. She just needs to take a breather and, you know, get it together because I do like her, the poor thing. Uh, But that's just unacceptable with the podcast. And you know what? I've been listening to a few celebrity podcasts lately and mine is better. Sorry. (laughs) I've been diving into a few of these celebrity podcasts and they're just not, they're not delivering. They're not doing it. Uh, Is that all I wanted to talk about? I'm looking through my notes. Like it's, my notes are so funny. I was going to, such random things that I was going to rant about. I guess it's 
probably run out of time now. Um, the new Gwen Stefani. That's so embarrassing. Well, let's not even. Yeah, look, that's fine. I think that's enough for this week. Guys, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at unpopularjp. Uh, if you would like to support the show, you can hit me up on buymeacoffee.com slash unpopularjp. Uh, you know what? I did decide this week that I am actually going to start a Patreon, but not yet because nothing is more annoying than, well, okay, there are things that are more annoying, but I hate when new podcasters that are like just coming to the game, they don't even have that many listeners and they're already on Patreon. It's like, girl, like build up the general audience first and show that like you you can put out a really good product out there for free, like go in the red, like lose money on it. Like you guys are really great with donating to my buy me a coffee, but I think I still lose money on this overall with all the different subscriptions and stuff that I pay, but it's fine because I'm in this for the long haul and... I just hate when people go on Patreon too soon, but I am going to go on Patreon eventually. I was going to do it all through Buy Me A Coffee, but I think I've decided that Patreon is the better alternative, but uh, I'm not heading over there yet because I just want to make sure that I continue to keep the main show high quality and that you guys, you know, continue to love it. And I sometimes experimenting with different things on here and seeing what you like and what you don't. I have an interview actually coming up later this week it'll be the next episode with uh jeff epstein from the manic podcast and that was a bit of a different style than i usually do because it was just kind of like a unstructured ranty conversation between he and i about a bunch of random stuff so i'll see what you like but now i'm going off on a tangent aren't i i don't know i just yeah i'm gonna do patreon at some point but i just don't want to do it too soon i'm trying to think of like ideas for things to do for the patreon because i feel like When you subscribe to a Patreon, like, you have to get your money's worth, I think. You can't just be, like, paying for nothing or just paying for some lazy content. So, I don't know. I've thought about maybe doing... Me and Kirsty, we always had this idea that we wanted to recap old episodes of Celebrity Rehab. So, I'm thinking of doing something like that where I'll, like, recap an old show for fun and then that'll just be in the Patreon as soon as you sign up and everyone will like have that. And then obviously I'll do like weekly content and like, you know, weekly things that I can't say on the main show. Or sometimes I have like behind the scenes stuff about certain guests and everything. I really like how Heather McDonald does her Patreon. If you listen to her, my God, I mention Heather McDonald every episode. I sound like such a stalker, but she's really good with hers because she'll be like, you know, I was texting with, you know, this Bravo celebrity or, you know, I heard this and it's like juicy stuff that you can't say on the main show. And, you know, I get tea like that too. And I am pretty open with everyone, but you know, there are certain things that I'll find out about like housewives or just, you know, gossipy stuff, or even if I want to, you know, throw shade at (laughs) someone else in the podcasting space, you know, some of that stuff I'll hold back. But if I have a Patreon, I can do it there. But I'm not heading over there just yet. I just want to make sure that this show is like well and truly doing its thing before I try to like add something else onto it. And I don't know, I guess that's just a random tangent that I've gone on. Anyway, look, thanks again, guys, so much for listening. Follow me social media at UnpopularJP. I will be back with another episode this week. I know I only did one episode last week, but you're getting two this week. So on uh, Thursday, is it? It's, yeah, Thursday. Uh, Thursday night, Australian time. You will get my conversation with Jeff Epstein, which was a lot of fun. I actually really liked it. And he's really hot. And maybe I have a bit of a crush on him now. I'm not going to lie. Thanks, guys. Bye.